Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, Count the Cost and Come, preached on June 4, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 8. Shall we turn to the scripture that was read to you? The Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 8, beginning with verse 18 through the 22nd verses. The title of the sermon is Count the Cost and Come. Because there are many Christians today who call themselves Christians do not count the cost before they come. Come to follow Jesus Christ. And let me say to you, the cost is cross. Cross is the cost. St. Matthew introduced us to Jesus Christ. In the first chapter, he introduces us to Jesus Christ as the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he also tells us this Jesus is Emmanuel, with us God. And in chapter 2, Matthew introduces us to Jesus as the ruler of Israel. And chapter 3, Matthew tells us the father spoke and said, This is my son, the eternal son, in whom I am well pleased. And in chapter 4, we find this Jesus Christ going about and preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And chapter 5 through 7, we see him teaching, articulating the laws of the kingdom of God. We see him as Lord, and he tells his disciples, you must listen to my teaching and perform those teachings, otherwise you are doomed. This Jesus is not a nice friend. This Jesus is not just a man. God with us, King of kings and Lord of lords, whose teachings we must listen to and we must obey. And in chapter 8, we see him coming down from the mountain. With great authority, he is performing healings and miracles. The leper is cleansed. And in the 18th, Verse of chapter 8. We are introduced to a scribe. Then another disciple. Let me read to you verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him. He got excited. He knew that his ministry was extremely successful. You and I would be excited when crowds are following us. But the son of God has an antipathy. Two large crowds who unthinkingly follow Jesus Christ. In one sense, it was easy for crowds to follow Jesus. He's exciting. A wonder worker. Lots of things are happening. No dull moment. 
He solves all the problems. He teaches with authority, heals all diseases, casts out demons, calms the storm. He multiplies bread and feeds the multitude. Large crowds therefore followed him. Even his own disciples did not really understand the purpose of Christ's life. Let me tell you, he came to die on the cross for sinners. What people wanted was a Jesus who will make their temporal life happier. You have a problem, tell Jesus, he will take care of it. He is the global fix-it person. But Jesus commanded his disciples to go to the other side of the lake. Forget about the crowds, he said. This is taking place in Capernaum and large crowds gathered again to be excited, to see miracles, to have great enthusiasm. He said, forget about them, let's go to the other side. Jesus Christ is not excited about crowds. Are we like the crowds looking to relate to a Jesus who will take care of all our temporal problems? Who will make life painless, smooth, and happy? Who will find for us husbands and wives and give us children, one boy and a girl, in that order? If we do so, then we do not really understand the mission of Jesus. He came preaching the kingdom of God. He came to show us the way to the kingdom of God. He came to show us the way to eternal life. He didn't come to solve all our problems. He came to demand our total submission to the government of God. He came demanding our repentance. Now let's look at this first scribe and his sweeping and comprehensive promise to Jesus Christ. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That's sweeping. That's comprehensive. Well, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't excited about the crowds, but he should be excited about this amazing commitment. But we don't see him all excited. Oh, scribe. Scribes were professional theologians. They were teachers of the law. Some of them were members of the Sanhedrin. But let me tell you something about these professional theologians. These scribes completely missed the meaning of the Holy Scripture. They majored in trivia. They knew how many letters and words a book contained. They will write seven volumes on that. It's an amazing thing when you read the writings of these rabbis. They completely and totally missed the entire meaning of the Holy Scripture. It's an amazing thing. They gave gravel to people and not the bread of life. But the truth is they did not belong to the kingdom of God. Who said? Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount chapter 5 and verse 20. Let's take a look at that. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that it scribes. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These professional theologians did not know which end was up. 
They based themselves on their own work righteousness. They depended on their self-righteousness to be ushered into the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and of the scribes, you will not certainly enter the kingdom of God. And he comes and addresses him as teacher, didaskale. Oh, he was a rabbi. Oh, didn't go to professional school. He didn't sit under the feet of Gamaliel. But he accords him some respect and says, you are a teacher. I understand that. Teacher, I'll follow wherever you go. Oh, he recognizes him as a teacher and wants to be taught in some way by him. But notice he does not call him Lord. But the truth is, Jesus is more than another rabbi. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Son of David, King of Israel. The eternal Son of God, that is what he is. He is Lord. And he is your Lord. He is the promised ruler of Israel, son of David, the Messiah. But look at this sweeping promise. Wherever you go, I want to follow you. I'll stick with you. But notice his understanding of the destination of Jesus is somewhat confused. And this was true also for disciples. The disciples could never understand when Jesus Christ said he will have to go to Jerusalem and there he'll be killed. They cannot understand it. And I have a suspicion that this scribe also failed to understand the reality of the mission of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's easy to misunderstand because the man is healing the sick and performing miracles, walking on water... Calming the storm, casting out demons, solving everybody's problem. He must be the Messiah who will bring the golden age of David once again to Israel. Prosperity will come. Glory will come. This is the idea. And it is good to be enlisted into his army very early on. Maybe I'll be given a cabinet position. So it is good to be connected with people of power. You never know. When your time of glow will come. And so he's saying, wherever you go, I want to come. Doesn't matter where you go, but I know where you are going. (laughs) You are going to be the king who will kick out the Romans from Israel and establish that great rule of the Messiah. The scribe sees the crowd, the miracles, he feels the excitement, he feels that his life will be completely secure as long as he is connected with this wonder-working rabbi. He will have a position and he'll have power, he'll have fame and security, he'll have friends, he'll be set for life. Jesus knows what is in our heart? He is called cardiognostes in the Greek means one who knows your heart. And you go home and read the last verses of uh, John chapter 2. He said he knew what was in man, therefore he did not trust anybody. He read the motivation 
of this scribe. He knew that he is seeking for temporal benefits, position and power and fame and painless life. Jesus is not interested in a volunteer army. He is not interested in an excitable crowd. Jesus is not seeking people who look for security of their temporal life. I was told that during the American Civil War, many joined the war voluntarily because they liked to participate in the parades and in the drills, and they liked to receive medals and awards and honor. And I think this is the state of the church in this country. People are crowding into the churches for the singular purpose of finding security and fame and riches and painless existence. Medals participate in parades, drills. No, Jesus is not looking for every Tom, Dick, and Harry who want to join Jesus for their temporal happiness and security. I'm sorry to say that. A lot of evangelists will be so excited when you stand up and come forward. He'll be so excited. He wouldn't ask you any question. But if you put five dollars into it, he'll be more excited. He's so happy. But Jesus had something to say to this volunteer. Seeking security and fame in this temporal life. Describe this professional theologian. He said, foxes have holes. Wild animals, yes, but Heavenly Father has given foxes a hole in his planet Earth. Birds have what? Nests. Heavenly Father not only feeds the birds, but also provides nests for them in his planet. This is Heavenly Father's provision for foxes and birds. But then he says, but the Son of Man. Now this is the first time that expression is used with reference to himself. It's a very important title, Son of Man, which he uses almost all the time, referring to himself. Now, son of man is a term, it can mean a human being in his lowliness. It can also mean God. If you look to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. So it is an ambiguous term and Jesus deliberately uses it. But it may, I don't know which way we must look upon this term here. But if you Give the meaning of deity. Exalted deity. Then the contrast is absolute. God the father gives holes to foxes. And birds. Nests to birds. But. But. The son of God. Son of man. Meaning son of God. Meaning God himself incarnate has no place to lay his head, Mr. Professional Theologian. I know what you are after. You want security, painless life. You want a husband, you want a wife, you want the two children. And you want promotion. You want your business to really not go bankrupt. You want really the business to go up. I know what you are thinking about. But let me tell you, it's not going to happen. If you follow me, it's not going to happen. 
Mr. Scribe, know this, I have no place to lay my head. I have no comfort, I have no security. I have no predictable hole to which I can go. After a hard day's work, foxes have, birds have, but I have not. Jesus did not have upper class security. He did not have middle class security. He did not have lower class security. Mr. Scribe, if you are seeking fame, fortune, power, job security, if you are searching for temporal happiness, don't bother. Don't follow me. You'll be totally disappointed. You need to understand who I am. And what my mission is all about. You need to use your noodles. You need to think. And not to be full of enthusiasm and emotional exuberance. You need to think. As to who I am and for what purpose I came into this world. You need to know God's program for this time. Soon the crowd will disappear. There will be another crowd who will cry out for my execution. The son of man came to give his life for ransom for many. He will be hated by the world. He will be mocked. He will be beaten. They will spit upon his face. They will call him the worst criminal in the history of the universe. Mr. Scribe, do you know that? Mr. Scribe, I know your motivation. I can read your heart. Mr. Scribe, let me tell you, it is dangerous to follow me. Because... It will cause your own death. Jesus Christ himself later on in the book of Matthew. Articulates the kingdom of God in terms of parables. And he speaks about the seed that fell upon soil number two. Underneath was rock. That parable points to people who enthusiastically without thinking. Wants to receive Jesus Christ. They are looking for a painless life. They are allergic to troubles, allergic to sufferings, allergic to the cross, allergic to self-denial. They are looking for a gospel that will keep them from all troubles. And then the soil number two, oh, they are interested in wealth and pleasure. That's what they are looking for. Mr. Scribe, it doesn't work. No room in the inn for me. And I was born. And they laid me in a manger. And you know this Jesus slept in the boat. He was weary and tired and he slept in the boat. We know that he slept in open fields. He laid his head in open fields. And we know the last time he laid his head on the cross. That was the place he laid his head. This Jesus offers his disciples no excitement, no job security, not wealth, not health, not temporal blessings. He offers us a cross. And he says very clearly, deny yourself, which means your own idea, your own thinking, your own will, your own everything. That's what repentance is. And you agree with the idea and plan and purpose and the will of the one who calls you to repent. It is to death, Mr. Scribe, I am going. Did you say you want to follow me wherever I go? Let me tell you my destination. It is to Jerusalem, 
but not exactly Jerusalem. They will take me outside the city of Jerusalem. There I shall be crucified for the sin of the whole world. I don't know whether the scribe kept following Jesus or not. I have a suspicion that he just split. But I'm sure he became very sober. His expectations were dashed. Probably he went away very quickly. We see a lot of people who join Jesus with this type of understanding. A crossless Christianity. A costless Christianity. Remember Judas. He was a thief. He knew that this guy, if I could attach myself with this guy, I will have money. And not only that, when he attached himself with Jesus, he gave him the purse. He said, you are the treasure. What happiness. (laughs) He kept on pilfering from the treasury. But eventually, he sold Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Let me tell you, if any of you are following Jesus Christ for other reasons, you will sell him in due course. And not only that, there was another fellow by name Demas. He followed Jesus. And he was working with Apostle Paul. And persecution is coming, trouble is coming, and the squeeze is on. And Demas came to Paul and said, Paul... There is no temporal security in this place. (laughs) You seem to be happy in chains and in a dungeon, but uh, this is miserable existence. Pretty cold. No food, no freedom, nothing. And we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10, Demas split. Having loved this present world, he's no longer with me, he's split. Let me tell you, everyone who comes to Jesus Christ for other reasons will split in due course. Then, the next guy, verse 21, Matthew 8, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. At least he uh, is calling him by the title Lord whether he fully understood it or not the first guy of course promised too much didn't know anything what he was promising but here a guy who is too slow to perform but he says let me first take care of my father you know you can wait don't you well, I, you know <laughs> you see I have other obligations, biblically sanctioned obligations. You read the 25th chapter of Genesis, you find Ishmael and Isaac burying Abraham. You read the 35th chapter of Genesis, you find Jacob and Esau burying Isaac. And you read the 50th chapter of Genesis, you find the children of Jacob burying Jacob. This is biblically sanctioned idea. I have prior commitment. And biblically sanctioned commitments. You understand. I, you understand these things. Don't you Jesus. Sovereign Lord. King of kings. God with us. Son of God. You understand that. At least this guy was not like. The people who were invited. In the 14th chapter of Luke. You know for a great banquet. Remember that. 
And uh, they said, you know, I have no need for banquet, which is the symbol of kingdom of God and eternal life. He said, I have no need for it. I'm pretty secure in this life. I have field, I have oxen, and I got married. So I will not come. Excuses. How many of you have given such excuses saying, I am pretty happy. I have no need at all. I am fully satisfied with gold and silver and the things of this world. I'm pretty healthy. I have a good sex life. Everything is fine. I live in the nicest part of town. My job is pretty secure. Business is booming. I don't need Jesus. But this one was a little different. He said, I'm going to come. I don't know when. But as soon as I take care of my prior obligations... It will be done. But let me tell you. If Jesus is calling you. Commanding you to follow me. We follow him. His command is absolute. His authority is absolute. His authority is not delegated authority. He is the creator and preserver of the universe. And when he calls you. Don't give him. Your little priorities. He is the priority. Of your life. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, we read, he must have preeminence in all things. Do you understand that? Supremacy. Jesus Christ must have supremacy in your life. In everything he must have supremacy. When Abraham was called in the middle of the night by God and said, you know, Abraham, Abraham, you know, I have something to say to you. Just get up in the morning. And sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Your only son. The son whom you love. You understand it. Not Ishmael. But Isaac. And what did he do? Yes Lord. And he the text says got up early in the morning and did it. He understood who God is. He loved God. He understood he is number one. He is the priority. He is the supreme Lord. And you shall never tell him to wait. Because you have other commitments. Look at the Levites in the 33rd chapter of Deuteronomy. God says this about Levites. He said to his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. But he watched over your word. Well, the story is told in Exodus 32 beginning with verse 27. And Moses came down from the mountain and saw sin. And he called out, who is on the Lord's side? Put the sword, take the sword and kill everyone who is doing this sinful thing. Without regard to father, mother, children. And they did. Levites did. And God was pleased with them. That is the commitment. All other Family relationships. Every other love must go. When Jesus Christ is commanding you. If you love me you will keep my commandments. You don't tell me to wait. Until your father is dead. And so. Request is refused. The almighty God. Refuses to hear the prayer. And he said follow me. That's the command of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Son of God, God with us. Let the dead bury their own dead. Christ does not wait for anybody. 
Oh, but you know, pastor, you remember? Elisha asked the same question. Please let me go and say goodbye to my people and I'll come right back. And Brother Elijah said, go ahead. Let me tell you, one who is greater than Elijah is here. And he will not let you do that. It's that simple, isn't it? Christ is king. Let's turn to the book of Luke. And the 14th chapter. And the 33rd verse. And hopefully you can go home and read it again. And and, uh, mull over it. In the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has, he cannot, he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now, that is, that's it. In other words, whatever and whoever stands between you and Jesus Christ must be given up. Whether it is your specific sin of pornography... Or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Or your specific job. Whatever it is that is standing between you and Jesus Christ must go. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To some of you it may be the education. You think that you know it. Then you don't know that you know nothing. Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. The creator of the universe. That is the idea. And Abraham knew and therefore he sacrificed his son. Nothing should stand between me and God. That's what it is. Yes, father, mother, children, your own life must go. If needs be that you may respond to Jesus Christ as a true disciple. You remember Ruth? You go home and read Ruth chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. Where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I die, you are God, my God. That is the commitment. And there is a, there is a fellow, probably you don't know. If you, if you know Old Testament history, you will know this guy, Itai. A fellow by name Itai. He was a Philistine who became a believer in God. And you go home and read Second Samuel 15, verse 19 and following this Itai wants to follow David who was being kicked out by his own son Absalom. He said, I want to go with you. And David said, don't come with me. You are just new to Israel. No! I want to come with you. I want to come with you. That is commitment. Or 2 Kings chapter 2 speaks about Elisha's commitment to Elijah. Three times Elijah gives him an opportunity to get off the train. Stay in Gilgal. Stay in Bethel. Stay in Jericho. He said, no deal. I'm going to follow you. I'm doing, I'm going to do one thing. I'll focus my attention on you. And where you go, I go. Nothing matters. Nothing else matters. You do not know what this disciple finally decided to do. But it is my view that he left his father and all and obeyed the command of Christ the King. American evangelicalism in the main is offering a popular Christianity. Come to Jesus. You'll be happy. You are getting a B now. And you have plans to go to medical school. Uh, Receive Jesus Christ. He will change the B into an A just like that. 
Come on now. Come on now. Your business is going down. You are in real estate and it's not, it's not really looking up. <laughs> you know, just receive Jesus Christ. You will see your business shooting up. And all other businesses will go down, but yours will what? Go up. And you have a problem with your body? Well, you know, receive Jesus Christ and you will be healed. Yes, American evangelicalism in the main is offering a popular Christianity. Come to Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus. Then your troubles will be over, pain will be over. You will have power and fame and money and health and wealth. Jesus wants to make you rich. He wore designer clothes and you will wear designer clothes. He will work for you and improve your business. Clear your arteries of cholesterol. What a miracle. You can eat anything you want. Freedom. And he will keep running your car nicely. He'll be your butler. This is not what the New Testament is teaching. Jesus wants us to think. He wants us to count the cost. He demands our repentance. He demands our absolute surrender to him. We are sinners at war with King Jesus. King Jesus has come to war against all sinners. He is omnipotent king. None can resist him. There is no army who can defeat him. However, he offers terms of peace. That's what he's doing. Let's turn to 14th chapter of Luke. And let me read to you from verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him? With 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. You see, this man has to make a decision. Unlike the guy who wants to build a tower, he can build or not build. But this guy has to make a decision. And that is the place we are. There is a king coming with a very large army. He's pretty good in strategy. He knows how to war. And we need to think now, very soberly. If you think you have what it takes to defeat him, go ahead. But if not, while he is far off, send a delegation, sue for peace. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, he is offering term of peace. What is that term? Total and absolute surrender to him. That is it. No negotiation. And these terms of peace are made possible because of his death on the cross in behalf of the sins of all who will repent and surrender to him. That's God's plan of salvation. On the cross, Christ removed our curse, our hell. Curse shall remain on all who will not repent and trust in Christ alone. Everyone who refuses to receive peace from him will have to fight with him. And let me guarantee you that he will win. And if you have any question, read the last book of the Bible. He offers you peace. He offers you fellowship with him. He offers you the gift of eternal life. But you must give up everything to be his disciple. He must have preeminent supremacy in your life. 
The question is, will you accept his terms of peace? There is absolutely no negotiation. Total surrender to the Son of God. The Bible says, this is the acceptable time. This is the day of salvation. Today you can sue for peace. Today you can surrender and be saved. Let me tell you, soon the period of salvation will end. One, you die. You may walk out of this place today and die. You never know what is going to happen to you. You die. And if you have not sued for peace with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, one day he will raise you up and will deal with you. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can be saved. And the other is he is going to come again. And we don't know when. A lot of people think they know when, but we don't know when. Anytime he will come. Let me read to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have any kind of idea that this Jesus is going to be nice and cute. He's going to come. He says this. This will happen. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In blazing fire. With his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This is serious announcement from God. And so what should we do? Oh, there is a counsel given to us in the Old Testament in Second Psalm. And let me read to you what this counsel is. Counsel given by God to the kings and to the generals, to the slaves and to the serfs, to the rich and famous and to the poor and miserable. What is it? Psalm 2 beginning with verse 10. Therefore you kings be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun. That means you come and fall prostrate and kiss his feet. That's what it is. Sue for peace. That's what we do when we repent of our sins. Isn't that true? I have sinned against your majesty. I justly deserve your holy wrath. Hell to me is not surprise. It is just. But I'm suing for peace. I want to kiss the feet of Jesus Christ. Shall we rise? Counting the cost. And cost is the cross. Before you come. And I want to give even this morning an opportunity for you to come to Jesus Christ. Because I understand. Today is the day of peace. In God's eternal plan. Today is the day of peace. The door is open for you to come. Not to negotiate. There is nothing to negotiate about. 
He is the Son of God. He is God with us. He is King of Kings. Against whom we have sinned. But praise be to God. He gave us this window of opportunity. To repent. We join other people. Like the public. And he came. He did not even look to heaven. He was beating upon his breast. And what did he say? Have mercy upon me. Heartfelt, honest, and true. Pray. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus Christ tells us he went home saved. Let me give you Jesus Christ. Savior of the world. And the Bible says Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. That's wonderful, isn't it? He's a friend of sinners. Meaning, he is a friend of those people who acknowledge that they are sinners. He will save you. He will help you. Now you may say, well, what about my temporal life, you know? <laughs> well, let me tell you. It is not the devil who has been feeding you. It is my God. The one who gives chicken to fox and holes to the foxes. He is also feeding the birds and every human being. On the face of his planet. And so that's understood. Our heavenly father will feed us. And clothe us. Until our time comes to die. But I'm offering this morning. Jesus Christ who will give you. Something greater. Than beans. He alone gives you eternal life. He says repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is the way to the kingdom of God. I hope and pray. That you will hear it afresh this morning. The great physician of the souls offers you healing. He is able to deal with your rebellion and your sin. And surrender your life to Christ and say, I understand that Christ must be first in my life. And I will serve him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.